This is Jim Minns, communications officer with the PSA. Obviously it's our 120th year. Um, uh, for me as the General Secretary, it is a source of great pride um, to be leading um, this great union, our great union, a union that has as its main principles uh, unity, strength, respect. It's been a big year, and to sum it all up, on the podcast we thought we'd have a sit-down with Stuart Little, the PSA General Secretary, to discuss the highs and lows of 2019 and the vision and projected outcomes of the PSA moving forward in 2020 and beyond. This is the first of a two-part interview with Communications Manager Marianne Leedich. Thanks, Stuart, for coming and joining us today. Pleasure. Um, here we are in December yep. and uh, finishing up the year. It's been a big year. Um, I think everyone is looking forward to the break. Um, it's been a, a year of incredible growth, incredible achievement, and just so many challenges have been thrown at us um, throughout the year, obviously starting with the state election. Um, and dealing with a lot of those issues that we're very concerned about, but also um, dealing with the pressures of uh, the budget, the state budget in particular, and then also for our members in the federal system, um, having some major challenges thrown at us, particularly our members in, in TAFE, um, uh, facing you know dire job cuts, albeit they're in the federal system, they're funded by the state system, and obviously we have to navigate that. But it's been an incredibly challenging year. Obviously it's our 120th year. Um, uh, for me as the General Secretary, it is a source of great pride um, to be leading um, this great union, our great union, a union that has as its main principles uh, unity, strength, respect. Um, we have built unity. Um, we're growing in, in stature. Our membership is getting stronger and stronger. Um, the issues that they're concerned with, um, the services that they provide in the community, whether it's safeguarding the community, protecting the community, uh, delivering services um, out there in the community, often in regional, remote New South Wales, which at the moment is going through um, a, a horrible drought, you know, just a generally terrible time in regional New South Wales, obviously. Um, you know, a major thing that we're standing up for is to ensure and hold the government to account on its um, um, promise not to cut jobs in the bush, and that's something that we intend to hold them to account on very, very strongly. But it's been a, a fantastic year in terms of um, growth and achievement, um, but also a very challenging one, and obviously yeah, we're all looking forward to a break. Um, I am concerned whether we will get much of a break because obviously we have a lot of members at work on the front line uh, many of our members are in harm's way as we speak. Um, they are fighting wildfires, um, which are pretty well engulfing, um, you know, large parts of our state. And you know, unfortunately, we have had members killed in, in the court, in, in the line of duty. And I can only pray um, that our members can go out and protect communities and stay safe um, at this time of year. Yeah. So going to 120 years, mm. uh, we're one of the strongest unions. Um, in New South Wales. Uh, this year celebrating 120 years sh uh, also brings the fact that 64% of our membership are women. How do you feel um, 120 years on that this is such a great achievement for women 
to be at the forefront of our union. Oh, look, it's a great, a great, great achievement. And um, I think that, you know, when you've got a union that has so many strong women at the forefront of our union, um, in, as I said, so many various areas of, 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 the, of the union, um, our members in school education, uh, our members in corrective services, um, uh, you know, right across child protection, um, TAFE. I mean, so many of our members work in frontline areas, but the fact that our union is made up of between 60 and 65% women, and obviously we know um, many of the challenges that women face in terms of pay equity, um, gender equity, um, you know, often as a general rule, women earn 15% less than their um, equivalent male counterparts. Um, one of the areas that we've been very successful at is um, prosecuting, obviously, our case in school education um, and delivering a historic um, outcome for our members in school education, minimum 19% pay rise up to um, almost 36% for other members. But um, in my time at the union, which is only short, you know, I've been a member for over 20 years now. Um, this is the second um, pay equity case in my time as a member of the union, but obviously now as the General Secretary, to achieve uh, an outcome like that uh, is just an incredible source of, of pride for me. So talking about the pay equity case, mm. um, I guess a lot of people don't know how much went behind it, but yes. when you were out and about talking to members when we actually won the case, what were they saying to you? I think most people were in somewhat disbelief that we're able to deliver um, an outcome of 19% um, for as a minimum and up to 30, you know, almost 36% um, at, at the top end of that deal. Now obviously we are constrained by the government's wages policy, we can't run um, uh, work value cases in the Commission like we could and you know I've got so many areas of the mem membership that really do need the courts and the system is not there, the system's broken. I mean the government have intentionally broken the system and I think of people like our special constables, I mean I look at areas of um, corrective services, I look at child protection, a whole range of areas where in my view um, many of our members are not receiving fair remuneration for the value that they bring to their work because their work has changed. Technology's changed, I mean the way they work has changed. Uh, and obviously if you look at the constraints of the budget, quite often there are far fewer people delivering uh, a wider and bigger service, but they're being asked to, to, to basically, you know, just wear 2.5% a year. And for some people that may seem, seem fair, but really, if you look at um, historically where we've been able to have an independent umpire look at um, work value and, and, and hand out work value judgments um, based on merit, based on the argument before them, I mean, of course, this union has been able to deliver pay justice for so much of our membership. The, the great frustration now, albeit we were able to deliver for um, the largest section of our, you know, um, our female membership. So one in, um, one in three of our female members works in school education. And obviously um, we were able to deliver that, you know, that historic pay outcome. But obviously we have many women across the service. Um, who are undervalued. There's no question about that. And that's a great challenge for us going forward. And, and it's not because we don't want to or we don't have the, you know, the, the, the um, ability to Absolutely. do that. We, of course we do. I mean, we have fantastic, um, fantastic legal people that, that work for us. 
um, we have um, you know, the evidence. What we don't have is a system that is fair and independent and that can deliver wage justice for workers. We don't have that. That system's been taken away from us by, by the current government. The strength and effectiveness of the union depends on you and your colleagues standing together. If you work in the New South Wales public service and the federal system, consider joining the PSA CPSU New South Wales. This movement is striving to make New South Wales and Australia a better place for all working people. United we bargain, divided we beg. Head to psa.asn.au forward slash join. Protect yourself and make a difference. The government is always trying to suggest our members are not frontline public servants. But here we are in 2019 in a drought and witnessing some of the worst fires our state has ever seen. What would you say to the government about our frontline members and the budget cuts? Because this is what it comes down to. Well, the the best example of that is what has happened to national parks, uh, where we were told that, um, well, you know, a lot of these roles are superfluous, we don't need them. Um, we'll go from 36 regions to eight regions. So, you know, the regions like the Blue Mountains now aren't the Blue Mountains. They've now broadened to include areas like Mudgee and perhaps even out to Dubbo. It's ridiculous. So where you used to have 36 fire management officers across the state, you've now got eight. So, you know, these individual officers that look after things like hazard reduction, the fire management plans. I mean, instead of there being 36 across the state, dealing with 10% of the state's land mass, okay, having to engage with stakeholders, engage with local government, landholders, businesses, um, power stations and the like that are currently under threat, those jobs were cut. You know, it, it to me highlights the hi- hypocrisy of these cuts. Um, There's still more to come under the budget, you know, 3% of annual efficiency dividend. The course of the budget, it's a four year, that's, you know, do, do your maths, 12% but compounds out to 13 or 14%. It, it, it's a huge, huge mistake by the government to do that. And that's one example where now we've got a fire season. You know, we, we, I begged the former minister, Gabriel Upton, not to cut those jobs. Not only the fire management officers, the regional managers, people who were incident controllers during Section 44 wildfires, um, people with, um, you know, collectively... Um, possibly hundreds of years of experience in fighting blazes, not only in New South Wales, but in a state. Many of them have been deployed to the USA and, and, and other countries. So these are highly professional, highly skilled officers. Now, that's just one example. Um, but, you know, you see it right across the board in, in fisheries, um, in, in other frontline agencies. We, you know, we've just had a couple of closures um, within corrections in remote areas. Um, and, you know, obviously that's cause for concern because... You know, things like the prison service, you, you can't cut those jobs. If you cut those roles, correctional officers' jobs, for example, um, you, you place um, you know, people at risk, you know, uh, communities at risk. That's and and the, sure. obviously our members that work in there, they're placed at risk. Now, we're, we're not going to accept that. Um, but obviously it is cause for concern going forward that, um, you know, the Treasurer uh, and, quite frankly, the Premier... They need to really, you know, deal with the reality that it's not just the sworn officers of the police force, and they do a magnificent job. You have so many agencies, child protection, disability services, you know, the rural fire service, national, I mean, you know, 
right across the gamut, our members are on the front line performing an incredibly important function on behalf of the community. And if you cut those jobs, um, really what you're doing is affecting those communities. This is a weekly podcast and you can subscribe to the PSA CPSU podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jim Minns. Thanks again and you'll hear from us next week. Thank you.